Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and my guest for episode 33 returns a year after his first appearance on the podcast to talk some USC and Major League Baseball with me. He's a former member of the Trojans baseball squad and now works as a professional scout for the Toronto Blue Jays. Steven Yu, welcome back to the Everything USC podcast. Hey, Nara. Thanks for having me. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter. You can find and follow me at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Steven, any social media you want to get out there for the people? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can find me at Twitter at uh, StevenU38. The Everything USC Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. It's a great month for sports, which means it's a great month for sports betting. And Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. With MLB in the second half of the season, there's plenty of betting action to get involved in. If you're a football better, there are tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Following a 10-5 record in a pandemic-shortened 2020 season in head coach Jason Gill's first year at the helm of the USC baseball program, which featured wins over second-ranked Vanderbilt and number 22 TCU, the other school my guest today Stephen Yu played for in his college career, there was some excitement brewing that maybe the Trojans were starting to turn things around in the hopes of returning to an elite level in college baseball. So, the 2021 season has to be considered somewhat disappointing at the very least, as the team went 25-26 and overall, 13-17 and in the Pac-12 to finish in a tie for 8th with Washington State in conference play. Only one Trojan regular, third baseman Ben Ramirez, batted 300 or better, as he led the team with a 304 average, 54 RBIs, a 529 slugging percentage, 910 OPS, and was second in home runs with 10 to first baseman Clay Owens, who had 12. The Friday starting pitcher, Isaac Escada, went 6-3 in 14 starts with a 3.47 ERA, 71 strikeouts, 31 walks, and a 235 opponent's batting average. However, the Saturday and Sunday starters, Chandler Champlain and Alex Cornwell both had ERAs north of 5, although some of that was skewed by a few starts where each got blown up badly. Quentin Longry was the top reliever with a 1.73 ERA in 17 appearances. 
striking out 31 against 10 walks and holding batters to just a 189 average. The leader in saves, though, with six was freshman Nate Clough, who made 13 appearances out of the bullpen with a 5.91 ERA, only 7 Ks and 2 walks, and a 289 batting average against. However, Clough was pulling double duty as he also played in 26 games as a batter, mostly at second base, and he hit 211 with 3 homers and 14 RBIs in his attempt to pull off a Shohei Otani. Steven, did you expect this team to be better this season? I kind of expected them to compete, maybe a tick below from what you know the results were. But being in his real first year with uh, Coach Gill, I felt like this was still a solid season. Uh, I mean, the schedule was daunting, right? Uh, you got the Stanford's and UCLA's and U of A's and Oregon's and Arizona State's. So um, he's still building his program and bringing in the players that he wants. So I expect him to really make a jump this upcoming the 2022 year rather than this year, even though there's been some nice wins and some nice moments. How much do you think the pandemic has affected Gill's ability to rejuvenate the program? I mean, I think with the pandemic, it hasn't been helpful for anybody, especially entering their first year, right? So a lot of those programs, their coaching staffs have been mainstays, they've been recruiting, they've been around a while. So I think the pandemic did have an effect. And now that it's over, I fully expect it to really turn it up here moving forward. So I'm going to ask you again, like I did last year, how can USC get back to being among the elite programs in college baseball? And again, I think the the same answer as last time is is recruiting first. And I think the new class coming in and they've been able to get players, not only in the SoCal area, but going out of state and going to Vegas and getting one of their top recruits, I think is, it's key. I do believe in college baseball. Recruiting is mostly the battle. So it all starts with recruiting, and then it, it really becomes player development because you got these guys for three years now. So, But I do fully expect him to bring in the players necessary to compete again. And let's talk about some of the positive things that came out of this season in terms of some player honors. Freshman catcher Garrett Guillemet and Ben Ramirez were both named All-Pac-12, and Quentin Longrie was an All-Pac-12 honorable mention. Fifth-year senior John Thomas was the USC male winner of the Pac-12 Tom Hansen Conference Medal, which goes to a men's and women's student-athlete at each conference school who exhibits the greatest combination of scholarship, athletics, and leadership. The women's winner, by the way, for USC was track star Anna Cockrell, who's headed to the Tokyo Olympics. Best of luck to her there. And we had three USC Trojans selected in the Major League Baseball draft that just happened this week. That means, of course, that there has been a USC player selected in every draft since it was started in 1965. Third-year sophomore right-hander Chandler Champlain went to the New York Yankees in the ninth round, number 273 overall, as the first Trojans selected. Fourth-year junior Ben Ramirez went to Seattle in the 13th round at number 384 overall. And fourth-year sophomore left-handed pitcher Alex Cornwell was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the 15th round at number 451. Now again, only three Trojans taken in this draft, and none of them went particularly high. Do you think that the lack of Trojans being drafted and... The fact that the first one went in the ninth round shows that there has been a lack of high-end talent coming into the program. 
Yeah, I mean, clearly it is. I mean, uh, USC really hasn't had a, a top draft pick in a while. But again, a lot of it is due to one, the recruiting, and two, I think um, now making a transition from the old staff to now Coach Gill's staff, I think has something to do with it. But this is still USC. You fully expect them to come back here, turn the corner soon, and be getting guys drafted in the top rounds here sooner than later. So, but to have people get drafted, even if as high as the ninth round, it still means a lot about the program that there's still players that still want to go to USC, which is still the most important thing. What do you think is the key in order to get better recruits and develop the talent at USC? I think a lot of it is just keeping up with the philosophies of today's uh, baseball player development side. Again, with technology and having me able to interpret the data and just building an operations where it's more of a pro style than it was, you know, back then college style. If you look at the top programs in the country, the Vanderbilts and all that, their program is built like a pro where you got three years, so you're developing them by the time they come in the freshman, by the time they leave, you want them to be ready. And that should be the selling point to not only USC, but all of college baseball. So we see that even though Escada and Longree were the most effective USC pitchers this season. They did not get drafted because they aren't seen as being as projectable for a variety of reasons. Escada isn't considered to have great arm talent necessarily, and Longree is going to be 25 years old in September. So since you're a scout, I got you on here. Explain kind of the scouting process of the draft and what it means to be projectable. I mean, projectable uh, essentially means what he's going to be a couple of years down the line rather than what he is now, right? If you think this is the best that he could be, it's probably a guy that you don't want at the moment. Because at the end of the day, what every scout looks for, even at the amateur, the international or the pro, like myself, we're looking for major league baseball players, guys that could play at the major league level. So if these guys don't flash or possess or, or even show a major league quality tool, it's really, really tough to take a chance on them. So that's essentially what it comes down to. But then again, nowadays, again, what I just came back to with player development, you don't have to be the most talented player, but you can reach in and, and extract as much as you can out of the guy who can still end up being a major league player. So those are some of the selling points and that you, you want to do in terms of creating a program and creating a developmental program. What you see a lot of times in the Major League Baseball draft is that they're not necessarily drafting in order of talent. They're drafting on signability a lot of times. You see a guy like the star pitcher from Vanderbilt, Kumar Rocker, who goes 10th in the draft to the New York Mets. And I don't think there's anyone out there who thinks he's the 10th best player. I think most people have him higher than that. But because they think it might cost too much money to sign him, he's going to drop. Can you explain why baseball is kind of like that? Because I know that people who are maybe not as big baseball fans and they're used to watching football and basketball where it's normally, hey, whoever's the best is going to get taken higher. Why is it different with baseball? Baseball is a little bit different in the fact that there's a larger quantity. Well, it's shrunken down to 20 rounds, but there's also, it's a pool. So you can only spend so much within the entire draft class. So you still want to get the number of prospects that you want rather than taking a high-end one and just taking fewer of them. So it's a strategy that every club, you know, their, their philosophy is a little bit different. Some just wants the higher top end and not take as many. Some teams want the quantity, so they'll, they'll spread it out more. But it also depends on where the state of your minor league is too. So there's a lot of factors into it, but mainly it's because there's a pool. You can only spend so much on an entire draft. 
This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang, joined today by Toronto Blue Jays professional scout and former USC baseball player Stephen Yu. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, you can subscribe, download, and rate it at all of your favorite podcast directories or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Stephen, let the people know how they can reach out to you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at StephenU38. Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Okay, Stephen, now it's time to talk about your team, the Toronto Blue Jays, 45-42 and record at the All-Star break as we record this the day after the All-Star game. That's good for third in the AL East, eight games behind first place Boston, and six and a half games back of second place Tampa Bay, four and a half games behind the Oakland Athletics for the second wildcard position. There's been a plus 72 run differential for the team, which is fourth in the American League behind just the White Sox, Astros, and Rays. And that means that the projected win-loss record or expected win-loss record for the team is actually five games better than what they are. So there's maybe a chance to improve in the second half for Toronto. And as we saw in the All-Star game, You've got a superstar in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's an AL MVP candidate coming off winning the All-Star Game MVP, the youngest ever to win that award, and hitting the longest All-Star Game home run in the StatCast era, that 468-foot monster blast in the third inning of the game in Colorado. And also, Marcus Simeon at second base and outfielder Tay Oscar Hernandez were both named All-Star starters along with Guerrero, and shortstop Bo Bichette was on the team as a reserve. So how amazing was that performance by Guerrero in the All-Star game? I mean, that's just amazing, not only as a Blue Jay employee or just a fan of baseball to watch uh, the evolution of Vladdy. And it's just really great for baseball to see these young guys, especially some of our, our guys like Vladdy and Bo to 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 be in an all-star game. So it it, it was just exciting to watch that, that game last night. And of course, when you speak of young stars, you got to bring up the guy everyone's talking about, the two-way player for the Los Angeles Angels, Shohei Otani. He starts the game as a DH and a pitcher, the first time that's ever happened in all-star game history. Ends up getting the win because of his one inning of work there as the starting pitcher. And he had a packed all-star break as he was also in the home run derby. And even though he didn't make it out of the first round against Juan Soto, that was a very compelling matchup that had to go to a swing off there. And just talk about how difficult it is to be playing at such a high level as both a pitcher and a hitter at Major League Baseball. I mean, what he's doing is just, Simply, to put it, it's unprecedented. I mean, you, you're talking about a guy who hasn't done this since Babe Ruth. I mean, it's hard enough to just define a major league hitter or a pitcher, but let alone trying to find a, an everyday, a middle-of-the-order impact hitter or a pitcher. And the fact that he's doing both of it is just phenomenal. And even people who aren't baseball fans has to be enamored about what this guy brings every single night, as not only as a hitter, but as a pitcher. So, I mean, it's great for baseball. 
I think it's really something that fans of baseball and non-fans of baseball are really gravitating towards. And the fact that he is from Japan, which is even more amazing. So these must see TV every single night. And you can tell by the players. We're talking about major league all-stars who are enamored and just so gravitated and wanting to watch him play. So it is truly something once in a lifetime. And something you notice when you see and hear really Otani and Guerrero and some of these guys batting, the sound of the ball off their bat is just different. Like, how do you describe that to someone who maybe doesn't know the game as well? Like, it just sounds different. It is. I mean, you can just tell that it's like something kind of coming out of a cannon compared to a BB gun. You can just clearly, distinctly, anybody that's not a baseball fan can tell, oh, that just sounds different with those guys. And that's what it really is. It's truly, truly amazing what some of these guys, the way the guy, these guys are hitting the ball. Now bringing it back to the Blue Jays, Marcus Simeon signing away from Oakland and moving positions. He played shortstop for the A's and now is at second base for the Blue Jays and makes the all-star team. How big has that signing been for Toronto? I mean, it's been huge. I mean, he's really not only bolstered our lineup offensively that, but just his veteran presence. I mean, he was an MVP candidate in 19. For him to come in and make his impact, just not only on the field, but off the field, has been just tremendous for especially some of our young position players like Vladdy and Bo. So it's been great. Of course, the big free agent signing was George Springer, the outfielder from the Astros, and he's been hurt a lot and missed a lot of the first half. So how important is it to have George Springer back and healthy for the second half? It's huge. Not just for, again, he's another guy that's just not going to impact us on the field and playing a premium position center field and being able to contribute offensively in you know top or middle of the lineup. But it's also the experience of being in the playoffs. I mean, he brings so much to the table. He is really, and not having him so far and being where we are uh, is a luxury. And now that we have him, down the stretch, hopefully stays healthy. It's going to be tremendous. Where do you see your pitching staff right now? It's been kind of up and down, also had some injuries. Where do you see them as we go into the second half of the season? I mean, it's um, just more of the same of what we have been in the last, especially our starting staff. Our starting staff has really settled down and everybody's kind of finding themselves in a groove and in a role. It's uh, just mostly our bullpen uh, with our injuries. We're hoping to get some of the guys back. And uh, we're going to look out to really continue to upgrade. But we feel good about where we're moving and we have depth to help us out here and there. But we're really looking forward to the second half and especially some of those guys have really settled into their roles. And the other thing is, of course, that the team began the season by playing home games at the spring training facility in Florida before moving back up to Buffalo, where the Blue Jays played the 2020 season at the AAA affiliate. And they're now hoping to get back into Toronto by July 30th after submitting an official proposal to the Canadian government to resume play at the Rogers Centre. Are you optimistic that the Blue Jays will be allowed back to Toronto for games beginning at the end of this month? I mean, we're always optimistic and we're always hopeful. And I think it's very important for our club to be playing in front of their fans at the Rogers Centre and having a real home and a home field advantage. And I think it would be great for not only the city of Toronto, but in Canada to have their baseball team back. So we got to stay optimistic and we're hoping for the best here. How difficult has it been for these last two seasons not being able to play true home games? I think we're fortunate that we do have a younger roster and 
guys with high characters and just grinders. They don't really care as much of where they play. It's just play. Guys who love to play the game. I think that that has really been a huge advantage and, and a benefit, the fact that we haven't been playing at the Rogers Center. So as of right now, I mean, the team and the guys are just going to grind it out and keep playing because we are in the wild card race. So I think that is, at the end of the day, more important is to make the playoffs. But they're all still, of course, going to be looking forward to playing in Toronto. Since you're based in Los Angeles, it doesn't affect you as much necessarily, but what has been the effect on the organization as a whole by not being able to be based in Toronto and having to move personnel and operations around? As a whole, as an organization, it really has, it's still business as usual. It can't stop us from doing our job. It might make things look slightly tougher, you know, going in and out of the country, but overall, we all have a goal. Our goal is to for as an organization to be in the best position to be sustainable winning franchise. So it's our job to get the job done either way. So it does not matter where we are and having a team like we have right now, uh, it's just exciting time. So we just want to keep doing our jobs. Since we talked last year, what has your work been like? Where have you been going to look at players? What have you been doing as a scout for the Toronto Blue Jays? It's been really nice that things are more back to normal where I've been able to go to the ballparks and see a lot of the uh, prospects in uh, my, my assignment, the coverage that I have to see them in person rather than see them through video or like last season, they didn't really play. So it's been really nice to be able to evaluate them and essentially really do the job that I was given. So it's been great. Of course, last year, what we talked about too was the fact that the Korea Baseball Organization, the KBO, was getting a lot of play on national TV with no MLB games going on. So since we haven't been getting those games this year with a full MLB season, are there any players from over in Korea that we should be looking out for that may be coming to MLB next season? This year's a little bit lighter than last year where there was a buzz, obviously, with the Padres signing Hassan Kim. This year's a little bit lighter for sure. Um, There's not any big-time names. There might be some guys foreign players who were, you know, a cup of coffee, big leaguers that are there that might be coming over. So it's definitely a lighter year than last year. And then the other thing you did bring up is the fact that a lot of prospects were not able to play last year with minor league seasons shut down. Have you noticed any players because of the year that they missed are behind in development? Or have you noticed that maybe some guys are better just because they use that time away to improve on things oh absolutely i've seen it both ways where you can tell guys are rusty and the year off really kind of affected them that they can't get their timing back they can't get some parts of their game back right away but so i've noticed some guys have really taken advantage of maybe physically getting stronger or working on some little little parts of their game so it's gone both ways but for the most part i think everybody's very happy that they're playing in games and they're going through the grind of a season again which is a very important aspect that is always overlooked is the ability to play every single day and, and just grinding through an entire minor league season, not half or parts of it, but an entire season. I think it's very beneficial that it's back. Of course, baseball reclassified the minor league system and now it's spread out into a low A, a high A, double A, triple A, and then rookie leagues. What do you think of the new system of minor league baseball that's been set up? I think it's been good to kind of reorganize. Like the same uh, system has been going on for so long. I think some clubs are benefiting more than others in the fact that their affiliates are a lot closer now, especially in the A balls. They're they're together more because you see a lot of movement of promoting and demoting players 
And if they start becoming too far apart, you know, it makes things a little bit more difficult, especially when there's injuries coming up, you need to fill their spots. So having them closer, it's been beneficial in that sense. But overall, everybody that I've talked to around the league and scouts, and for the most part, it's nice to kind of clean up everything and just looking forward to how this really plays out. All right. So here's the big question. What are you expecting to see from the Toronto Blue Jays in the second half of the season? We're expecting a good second half, especially with the trading deadline coming up. Hopefully we'll make some nice additions and uh, really making a run. We're grouped in a pack with a lot of other teams. Uh, they're competing, but we like where we are at. We like the fact that our club is growing together, especially our young guys like you see Vladdy and Bo coming along, having the years that they have in and Springer coming back and our pitching staff kind of settling in. Really looking forward to the second half of the season. You are listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Naro Wang. My guest today is Stephen Yu, pro scout for the Toronto Blue Jays, former USC and TCU player. And of course, if you want to get the show, find it at all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Subscribe, download, rate the show, and also go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast, where my show and all the other shows that Believe has, you can find there. To reach out to me on social media, I'm on Twitter, at Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Steven, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, at StevenU38. This is Steve Lavin, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Finally, Stephen, I want to talk to you about kind of the biggest news in college athletics right now, and that is the name, image, and likeness rules that have now been instituted across the country, whether it's a state that has passed legislation or the NCAA now allowing things to happen in the other states that haven't yet passed any kind of laws regarding NIL. As a former collegiate athlete yourself, what are your feelings on how all of this has been handled by the NCAA? I mean, it was about time. I'm glad that the NCAA kind of turned the corner of allowing the students to benefit from their own efforts, really. It's been too long where the collegiate athletes has not been able to benefit from it. So it's it's a big step. There's obviously more that has to be done, but I really do think it's a very good first step. For me, and I've stated this before, I've never understood why the NCAA was so against this. Like I can understand not having schools give more money other than what they're giving already in terms of scholarship, room and board, tuition, meals, all of that stuff that comes as part of a college scholarship. But if a guy can make some money signing autographs or giving lessons or doing a TikTok dance, I mean, I don't understand what the big problem is with that. And I don't understand why they have been so far behind in catching up to this. And I want to ask you, obviously, we know like football players, men's basketball players who are high profile, they have a lot of opportunities set up for them. But how can the athletes in non-revenue sports, which baseball is for most schools, benefit from this new NIL era of college athletics? Well, I think nowadays 
you see a lot of these top players, for example, in the draft, you see the rockers and the lighters, and there's so much more publicity now in college baseball than it was before. I think now allowing them really does give them an advantage, especially you said the non-revenue sports, the scholarships are limited, just like baseball scholarships are limited. It does allow for these kids to balance out and get something and be able to go to school with a little less pressure on them financially or say for, for their families. So I think for sports like baseball and all the other, you know, women's sports, I think they will be the ones that's going to be benefiting more than the major sports. And I think a lot of people don't see it that way. They think, oh, it's just going to help Alabama football get more players and everything. Well, they already get all the players. So if it stays that way, it's not really changing, but it's going to, I think, help a lot of schools be able to show what they can give in terms of that you can be maybe a bigger fish in a smaller pond and you don't have to go to Alabama to get publicity. You can go somewhere else and find ways to earn money off of your name, image, and likeness. So I think that's a good thing. And I think obviously with social media being such a big thing for so many young people, there's social media influencers that make a lot of money off of what they do online. Why couldn't college athletes do the same thing? And we've seen in the past where certain athletes had popular YouTube channels and they were forced to stop because they were actually starting to make money from their YouTube channel and they couldn't do that if they were on scholarship. So I think it's a good step for the NCAA to do this and we'll see where it goes with the federal government if they're going to pass any kind of law to cover everything across all 50 states. And do you think this significantly alters the college sports landscape going forward? I do. I think there's going to be the biggest effect is, and you kind of touched on it, is I think you can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. You see these guys that are going to want to go to a place where they can play right away rather than going to an Alabama or Georgia or one of the bigger schools where they have to sit for a few years. Why would they? They can go to a smaller school and get the exposure and possibly doing that. So I think the talent will be spread around a little bit more than it, it is right now. So you can see those kind of changes coming. And finally, before I let you go, I know you follow USC football as a big USC alum. What do you think about the team heading into the fall? I mean, I'm really just encouraged with SC recruiting coming back with the number of high-level recruits are coming. Uh, I know for a few years there, we weren't able to get them, and we were losing in-state guys to go out of state. But it's really nice to be uh, at the top of the recruiting again not only just quality, but the quantity of guys. And as for the team, I'm really excited about Keaton entering his third year where that's, you know, usually that third year, it's another big step, right? So really looking forward to it. I mean, you know, you always get excited about USC football, so. Yeah, I think there is going to be a lot of excitement for USC football, like you mentioned, with a lot of good recruits coming in in this past year's class and some third-year guys like Slovis and more guys who have experienced now with the Trojans after the last couple years going forward here. And we're going to hopefully have some excitement in the fall. So Stephen Yu, Toronto Blue Jays Pro Scout, thank you again for joining me on the Everything USC podcast. And any final words you want to throw out there for Trojan Nation? Oh, I appreciate you having me back. And it's an exciting time for USC Athletics. And I'm looking, really looking forward to another great season. So thank you again. For my guest, Toronto Blue Jays Pro Scout Stephen Yu, 
I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 33 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.